don't have to do that. All right. It's okay. You can applaud me, though. Thank Ladies you. and gentlemen, Brad Wall. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have your undivided attention. So happy to have you here, Brad. Uh, happy today, to have you here. Today on the podcast, you are not our guest. Nope. But I'm you not. you will be soon. Stop handling the mic. Sorry. <laughs> that makes us real. That I'm makes sorry. a lot of noise. I'm sorry. I know you can't hear it. I can't hear it. So to me, it's not happening. <laughs> Maybe I'll turn on the speakers and let you no, hear it. No, 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 no. Do you want to no. hear what it sounds like? No. I kind of sure. want you to hear. Here, hold on. Brad. Regular, regular listeners will know that Brad hates when I handle the mic. Okay, the monitors are on. Yep, that's annoying. Sounds bad. You should get, you should get a thing where I get electrocuted every time I touch it. <laughs> that's the only way I'm going to learn. That's the next step. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Where t- are we? Where are we? Uh, oh, we're on we're, the Andy show. We're in a dark room. Um, we're at Converse Rubber Tracks. Oh, yes. We are at Converse Rubber Tracks. I know Tracks. I've been shouting it out a lot lately, but it's like we've... They're cool to let us do this. Unbelievably cool to let and, us do um, this. You know, I don't feel like we acknowledge that enough. I don't either. Because it's a pretty cool yeah. program. For those of you that don't know about Converse Rubber Tracks, let me tell you about it really quick. <laughs> um, Converse Rubber now Tracks. Now it really sounds like we're... I mean, listen, this is interesting to people. Because yeah. I feel like people want to know... People are probably like, why does this podcast sound so much better than all the other ones on my podcast list uh, oh that's me hello well that's brad <laughs> but it's also because like i'm not recording this on like a zoom yeah. thing we do have a good place to we do have it. A, a legit studio they let us use um studio b studio b um and uh converse rubber tracks records unsigned bands for free and if your band is good go to converse.com slash rubber tracks hey We've recorded some bands that weren't so good. Yeah, friend. but I mean, if I your think- band is working hard and trying to like and playing shows and trying to make it, you you'll probably get in. Okay, if your band good or bad, if your ga- band is good and or trying hard, <laughs> <laughs> um, we know your band is great. Man. Yeah, I love your band. You, you guys right are there. Great. I love your band. Brad likes you guys. I like those shoes that you have on. Yes, didn't know didn't know I could do that. No, do I didn't. I'm impressed. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Go to converse.com slash rubber tracks, apply, and you could get a day in the studio with an amazing engineer. The engineers here are awesome. Um, and they'll record your band for free. You own it. You can do whatever you want with it. And uh, yeah, it's great. There's coffee. There's Wi-Fi. What yeah, else could you want? All free. Everything's free. Everything's free. So um, yeah, check that out if you're in the New York or Boston area. I that's enough. Now it sounds like we're okay. Commercial. Sorry. All right. I'm but done. it is good we did. I'm, I'm sure some people have actually been cu- curious. Yeah. Yeah. That. People ask me about it all the time. How you get in here? It's What's the affiliation. The, the two questions I get the most: How do you record at Rubber Checks? How do you get tickets to SNL? <laughs> uh, both of them go online. <laughs> Converse.com slash so Rubber Checks for this. Uh, SNL does a lottery every summer. You um, apply online, and then you can get tickets to one of the shows or one of the rehearsal shows. I'm going to apply. Or you, yeah, you should apply. If I apply and I get tickets. Can I come into the green room and hang out? Yes. Okay. I can make that happen. All right. Um, I've been there before, you know. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It was back in the day. Were you there when um, there Fear played? Like, it was... No. The first time I was there was for a green, was green Day back when. No way. And, 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 and Lint and I were there. Dude, you are Brad always holding out on me. Oh, by the way, I was at SNL and Green Day played with Tim Armstrong. And they were the reason that that Rancid was in town was because they were they were basically toying with labels. I think they were just here to get free shit. They they said they were going to sign because they were like they they pretended that they were going to leave Epitaph and they were going to sign with like 
I don't know. I'm sure. I know they went to Sony and got a whole bunch of shit, like stereos and stuff. I'm sure. And then just like stayed with Epitaph. I bet you Tim was like, you guys were talking about it, and Tim was like, let's go. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, today on the podcast, our guest is Andy Nelson. Uh, Andy Nelson, old, old friend of mine. He's in so many bands that I'm not going to be able to get them all, but um, fuck. He... Put it, we'll put it in the titles. We'll put it in the titles. Obviously, Paint It Black. Um, he's been in forever. Amazing hardcore band. Um, he's currently playing in Ceremony. and uh, they, Whose new record is pretty awesome. Dude, the new record is sick. It's called The L-Shaped Man. Just came out um, very recently this summer and on Matador. And it's great. And um, he also... His day job is working for R5 Productions, which um, is a, puts on shows in Philadelphia. has been doing it forever. And now they actually own a bunch of venues there. My band United Nation always does shows through R Five. They own they own Union Transfer. They do shows at Boot and Saddle, a bunch of venues, First Unitarian Church. So um, yeah, Andy's got a pretty cool story. So we talked a lot about sort of his ethics when it comes to how he operates his band. You know, they you know they'll only play a lot of his bands will only play all ages shows. How how that kind of transfers into the show experiences he wants to create at R Five, and he's um, he's like a very principled guy. Um, which I think is really cool. So, yeah, we got into a lot of that stuff in this podcast. And check out Andy's other bands. Like I said, we talk about in the podcast, he's in like five other bands. If I was listening to all of Andy's bands, this podcast would be 10 hours long. But, uh, yeah, let's get into it now with uh, Andy Nelson from Ceremony. Today we're here with old friend Andy Nelson from Ceremony, Paint It Black, R5 Productions, and you you sort of live here now? Sort of. Okay. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Me too. I was I where? When, Phil- Philadelphia. Ah, Philadelphia. Whenever yeah. I feel like whenever I go to Philadelphia, I hit up Andy. I'm like, we should hang out. He's like, uh huh. I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> like pretty much. <laughs> like we can hang out whenever. I, yeah. Well, I mean, for the last few years, I've been spending a lot of time here. My girlfriend lives here. Gotcha. But I started paying rent here like last month. Jeez. Yeah, so. man, that's not fun, huh? Well, I live both places, so it's really not fun. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, kicking It's probably so, so much cheaper than Philly, right? I mean, Philly's in- inching up. It's really? really, yeah. But it's like weird, like, you can't get a job that pays well in Philadelphia, and there's no good stuff there. And you can't get around <laughs> because the city was mapped by the infirmed and the blind? Yes. God bless And by, I, yeah, it's just a completely dysfunctional, corrupt, filthy, angry, violent place. Which, you know, New York is a lot of those things, but at least you can get, like, a nice meal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're making inroads, I think, with, like, vegetarian food and that kind of thing. But, you know, there's no comparison. Are you on that team? Yeah. No, you full-on vegan or? No, no, just veg. See, I just just converted myself in October. To vegan? I know, vegetarian. Oh, yeah? Vegetarian. I mean, it was, I, I didn't eat that much anyway so mm-hmm. it was really like eh, i'm not gonna eat meat anymore it's pretty easy yeah and i i had aims of veganism but that cheese section at trader joe's is just so diverse and delicious the cheese the cheese part is really hard man yeah that's what it is for me too yeah. and i mean i i completely acknowledge that it's if you claim to care about the animals it's maybe just as bad <laughs> yeah that's what i try to figure i'm like well god am i Am I getting organic cheese? Is it still being exploited? What the fuck? Because my whole thing is I just, I'm just not into anything suffering so I can eat it. Yeah, that's me neither. My whole, that's my whole thing. But. But. <laughs> but am I, you know? Because I buy, you know, milk for my kids and I'll mm-hmm. get, 
you know, chick and stuff for them. Cause that's, I'm not going to choose for them. That's them when they're old enough to figure it out. They sure. can make that decision. Yeah. Know? But that's, that's what I get at. So whenever I'm like eating this delicious soaked in Syrah cheese from Trader <laughs> Joe's, it's God bless it. Yeah. <laughs> All my favorite stuff has cheese in it, pretty much. So it's it's just not happening. Yeah. But I feel like you know it's better to, you know, it's better to do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, even even if you eat meat, sometimes it's better than you know, like just eating it for every single meal. Like you lived in Argentina or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Bless it. And I'm trying to figure if we met through like John Ziga or like Liza or like later in life. Well, we met through them. We met through them. Yeah. Okay. A really long time ago. It must have been a really long time ago. Yeah. It was probably like in 2000, maybe? 2001, too? Yeah. Somewhere in there. What about 2000 is a long time ago now? It is. It's like, yeah, it's like the difference. <laughs> if you were born like then, you are a, Yeah, so you, <laughs> <laughs> if you were born then, you were now a sophomore in high school. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. And you were playing in, what was the name of your band then? Uh, my first band, yeah. Affirmative Action Jackson, right, with John's brother Jeff, yes, who I still live with, really actually, in and, Philly, and he is like a ice cream. Yeah, he founded a and he co-founded like a fancy ice cream company called Little Baby's Ice Cream um, that has done like massive business and is they have two shops and they just now you can buy pints and Whole Foods and that's incredible. Their hook is that they don't have normal flavors at all, so you can't go in and get like vanilla or chocolate. It's all like really weird chocolate Zany. blood orange it'll be i'm trying to think of like some examples their earl gray sriracha ice cream is pretty popular see i like hearing that but also loathe it because i'm a big ice cream fan and so it's kind of like are you I, like a purist well i do like i do like limited overrun and air throughout the ice cream when it's made but uh i kind of like peanut butter and chocolate thrown together you I have know? no idea what that means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't really either. Not- Dude, when they're when when you shit your ice cream, it doesn't taste as thick is because there's this thing called overrun, and it's like the amount of air that I like ice cream. See, <laughs> yeah, me too. Veganism, yeah, man, it, ah, I wish I feel so bad, but it's just too much air flown into it, then or blown into it, then it's it's like it's like you know when you get shitty ice cream as opposed to a little more high end stuff. But so the shittier ice cream has more air in it. Yes, interesting. Basically, yes. Now someone will hear this and dispute it, and that'll be. I'll say, "Well, I heard that on the History Channel," <laughs> which is where I learned it. <laughs> and um, and I just got the new Ceremony record. Oh, you got it! I got it. Awesome! I got my hands on it. Lucky you! Yeah, I like it. Thanks. Um, and so, you and so your main, you still do the R five stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you, do you guys set up shows in New York as well now, or is it mostly all Philly? I've done a couple shows in New York, like over the years, but it's you know we we basically just do philadelphia we're pretty busy now we have like two like venues that we own um, okay co-own i should say and then all the stuff at the church and johnny brenda's and we're doing a show at the international house of philadelphia soon and we do we do things all over the place and i know we were kind of shitting on philly a little but i i will say me and steven went to a show at the church friday yeah you went right we went it was awesome mm-hmm. but i remember like being there with steven and me being like this place would never work in New York. Like it would get destroyed. People would like, ref- like I just feel like people were like really kind of like respectful and like kind of cool. Like I just felt. Do for you really some- think that? Yes, a hundred percent. Oh, there, yeah. I was, I was amazed to see it that there was, you know, just so like no glass and they're selling water. I'm like, all right, that seems kind of a legit kind of show. I remember going to, and then but everyone's walking around with tall boys, and it's like bring in your own stuff and you're fine. Just don't mess with anything. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it's been a long work in progress to, to reach where we are now in terms of that. And it took like a ton of work and like a lot of doing the wrong thing for like a couple of years and that kind of thing. Um, the, the drinking thing, I don't even, I mean, hopefully no one in any kind of official capacity is listening to this. Well, we can also take that out. Like, <laughs> but, um, I and also, but I will they're say not. they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but we, I mean, that was an experiment too. Like for years, if you do a show in a room where you can't drink, like people are just going to drink outside. And like, you know, we have neighbors and there's, you know, if you drive by and you're the police or whatever, um, and you see like 300 people outside drinking on the street, you know, um, no matter what the reason is or what, like if, even if they're behaving themselves, like it, it's a problem. So we've, we've kind of like, we realized that, you know, if we let people drink inside and don't bring in glass, like it actually is totally fine. And most so you were really inspired by that season of the wire. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. I hadn't seen the wire until last year, <laughs> but yeah, it was sort of, I mean, kind of, but it was like, um, I think it's just more like it all comes out of this thing. Like that show that you were at the other day, um, like if that happened like five or 10 years ago, we probably would have had like, like a lot of security and there would have been fights and we would have been policing people outside for drinking and that we would have been like running around like cops the whole time. Um, and we sort of figured out that if you just treat people with respect, like adults, then there's generally no problem. And then if, and then if people are like, you know, and if they are a problem, everyone knows it and it's really easy to like, you know, sort it out, which I think, you know, if you go to a lot of these like bigger clubs with barricades and dickhead security people and stuff like they create a vibe that sucks and then it makes people aggressive and all that kind of thing that's amazing to me because i remember going to asbury lanes to see a show Mm -hmm. and it was the same vibe Mm -hmm. you know and they have a bar in there but everybody Mm -hmm. was chill and there was like one dude who decided this was his song and Mm -hmm. he was going to make everybody dance by shouldering them and people didn't like that and it was the sound guy who just walked out grabbed him and threw him out yeah yeah and i mean that's generally how we handle things at the church so i mean um, we're not out to like tell anyone what to do. You know, if it was Pennsylvania in particular has like really terrible liquor laws, like okay. you're not like you actually have to physically like with architecture separate the part where there's drinking from the part that isn't because it was founded by Quakers and stuff. Um, and those laws are still all on the books. So, um, and that's not, that doesn't occur to a lot of people, including bands. Um, they're like, well, yesterday it was cool, like whatever. And so for years we had to explain like why they couldn't drink on stage or whatever. But, you know, we don't really care what people do and we want the shows to be as fun as possible. So generally we'll stay out of people's faces unless they give us a reason I'm, to. I'm very stoked on the, there's going to be a whole bunch of, in the future, Quaker lawsuits. Really? Yeah, I, I guarantee it because with the whole Hobby Lobby thing saying oh, yeah. religiously don't support birth right. control, well, Quakers don't, are pacifists. Mm-hmm. And they don't want their taxes to go to a military. Yeah. So by opening that door, it's going to be, you know, and, you know, you want to be able to pick and choose, but you've got to think about these I things. I fully support that. Yeah. That's you know, great. Awesome. I don't want one of my fucking dollars to go to to the war at all. Yeah. And, and, and that that's where that is so interesting. I, I, I think about libertarianism a lot. Because I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And it's like left to the left, right of the right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas, um, yeah, have drugs, you know, do mm-hmm. your thing. And I remember getting into a conversation on Twitter with a libertarian going, well, what's your stance on age of consent laws then? Right. You know, like yeah. there's, there's this weird gray area. And it's like, you don't believe in public schools, but how who builds the road to get to your private one? Like, it's a weird... Mm-hmm. 
it, it, it confuses me. It's like you must hate libraries too. And I mean this in like in yeah. all seriousness. Yeah. It's like a library is a community, communal, communist, state run. You know what I mean? It <laughs> yeah. is. It, it flat out is. But they're awesome. And like a, a library spits in the face of like capitalism because it's like I can borrow this book as many times and the artist gets paid once. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this weird angle about that. So I think about that shit a lot. Yeah, I know that Painted Black. Um, you know, I follow you guys on Twitter. Oh, cool. Have uh, thanks for the follow. <laughs> hey, man, and I love everything you guys say. <laughs> you know? Well, thank you. So it's I know there's you guys have that thought process, and you think it seems like you think about your community and and how things work. But we think a lot as a promoter. How do you, I guess, draw that weird? capitalist line like you want to support yourself and be a success but not shit on the artists and the audience yeah i mean that's a thing that um i mean like if you have ethics at all (laughs) um doing anything like whether it's a band or a record label or a podcast even you know like you probably like you can't bandwidth isn't free right? right microphones aren't free you know um playing in a band doing shows like it, it gets harder and harder now that like um things become more and more devalued like concert tickets have become really devalued um oftentimes by the communities themselves i think um i don't know i mean i think it depends like it's situational um as far as like doing shows like for me um i i should uh if i can toot our own horn here like after doing shows for like almost well 15 plus years as r5 like we now have a 1200 capacity room in philly that's fully independent and we do all the shows there and it's the best of its size in philadelphia um and it competes directly with like live nation and we've managed to take like a giant bite of their sandwich you know and i mean they have like a active right-wing agenda so like you talk about like money tax dollars going to the war like concert ticket dollars go to support like actively right-wing agendas if you buy a ticket for a live nation show really i never knew that yeah i mean it's clear channel okay mm-hmm. so like they rebranded it because it had such bad press years ago but i mean it's, they have an agenda as far as a lot of things go and you know it's like a brutal like you know super capitalist free market kind of thing as well which is a whole other issue but you know i look at what we've been able to do by like being sensible and like you know now we're actually like you know taking like thousands and more probably dollars away from stuff that would be like spent on like evil things that destroy the world what's the venue that you have union transfer right on we have one called boot and saddle too that's like a smaller room yeah and we still do independent things as well you and it's played at boot and saddle and yeah um barbary Mm -hmm. these are all places i live in princeton oh nice closer to philly so i've been when I can get the chance to go out and see a show mm-hmm. and <laughs> get out there. I will say Ian Mackay, if I can quote Sir Ian, Please. Um, has said about R5 that like, you know, there's like nonprofit enterprises and then there's like ones that are explicitly for profit. But he classifies R5 as not for profit, um, which like he's like, you know, it's they're not out to make money. There is a little bit of money made, you know, um, but a lot of the bands that we deal with you know they're they have managers and major labels and all that kind of stuff the music industry's gotten so crazy since we started doing shows um profit was never like a motivating factor for us 
And so we've grown like really slowly over time and, um, and still do things just the same as we started. I mean, we still do shows at the church and in houses and basements and warehouses and all that other stuff. Um, but also, you know, these giant things. I mean, we're doing the Mad Decent block party this summer, which is like going to be two days of 10,000 people. Um, so, but that literally also started like as an actual block party, which we started doing in front of our friend's house. So, I mean, um, I think like it's one thing to like set out to be like, yeah, we'll do some shows and make a killing and stuff. And that was never the idea, but it's managed to grow in like this really cool way where, you know, we're doing things fully independent and, um, and it's going really well, you know, and you can live off of it. Uh, yeah. If union transfer. Yeah. I mean, you know, it does pretty well. We have, I mean, union transfer, there's like 90 people that work there. I think I saw one show there. Last time I was in Philly, I saw bleachers there. Oh, cool. It's great. And it's our bass player's favorite venue in America. A lot of, a lot of bands say that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, we had some help with, with like getting it set up and stuff from Bowery presents. Um, but you know, in general, like they do the sound for you. No. Okay. This, uh, or maybe they set up great sound. I know some of the guys who do that and well, our, our house sound guys, this guy, Tom, who has been doing sound like since like kill time and Stalag 13 days, like with John Hiltz from born against who still does. He probably did sound at the show you went to. Really? Yeah, I think so. I he was met. in Rorschach too. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he is. I no, didn't I even. That the, the room that first Unitarian that we saw pianos become the teeth in, mm-hmm. the sound was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, that's mostly in part to John Hilt's like having like this crazy like $100,000 PA that he lets us keep in the closet there. <laughs> and we just like pay him a little bit every time to use it. Um, so it's way better than you would generally get at a basement show at a church. That makes all the fucking difference, man. It's that, you know, it's you, as the older you get, mm-hmm. you want to be able to hear it better, better one, because you can't. Yeah. And two, you know, when you're a kid, your ears aren't that conditioned. So going to see a show in the basement, like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, that, that kind of like brings me back to what you were saying before is like, I don't, do you really think that like people that were motivated couldn't make something like that happen here? Because I feel like it, it, all it takes is like effort, you know? I mean, and like, you know, I think like people in Philly, people always say like the difference between like New York and Philly is that in Philly, you have to make something happen yourself, you know? Whereas in New York, like everything's already there for you, you know? And everything's just, you know, you want to go to see a concert tonight. There's like 50 concerts you can go to any kind of music and they're all being clubs with like sound and door people and promotional things and all that but in philly like a lot of that stuff especially in the early 90s just flat out didn't exist like bands wouldn't even come there to play shows i think it's just it's just different like you know like we played 285 camp before it closed Mm -hmm. like touche more people were really upset when that venue closed and i don't know if it's just maybe i'm a little older i don't go to a lot of shows like that as much anymore Mm -hmm. but to me i was like yeah this has been around for a couple years like it's a bummer but you know williamsburg's expensive i get it i feel like it doesn't I feel like Philly has, you guys have more of like a legacy where it's like you've been doing shows for so long. It's like kind of established. I feel like here something pops up and I always feel like there's just so many like dicks here kind of like I feel like someone does something really stupid and it kind of ruins it for everyone inevitably. Like whenever I see some like something nice somewhere, I'm like, well, this would be like someone would have peed on it, graffitied it. And like, I I don't know. I just feel like it's really hard to have nice things here. Well, that's definitely not true. That's why you don't get <laughs> nice things. I mean, I can't get into Gramercy Park. Can you? 
Uh, I don't go out. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't have a set of keys to Gramercy Park. Yeah, me neither. So I mean, like, that's that what I'm stuff, saying, like, in New York no, City. Minute, they opened up Gramercy Park. Did they? Yeah. Did they really? Yeah, you don't need keys to get in there anymore. No way. Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah, you can totally yeah, go there now. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I just mean, like, in terms of, like, you know, in a city with this many people and so many resources and that kind of thing, like, it's surprising. I feel like it's just maybe, like, apathy that would cause it. Like, for example, I've played 285 Kent. You right. have to, right? Right. So, like, that place, the, the stage was bullshit there. Yes. The sound was bullshit there. Yes. And, like, the people that worked the shows there, at least to do those things, were nice, but didn't really seem to care that much. There's no reason why that room couldn't sound good and have a nice stage that didn't, like, fall apart when you stepped on it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, in fucking Williamsburg. Totally, you know? totally. Like, next, you know. But like, I guess, yeah. I mean, so do you think that's... So do you think that's apathy or do you think it's just like that? That's how I, it's just kind of like, eh, like good enough. Well, I think that there might be some aspect to it where there are so many alternatives that it's kind of like, ah, if this thing closes, who cares? There'll be something else. Right. Someone uh, else will do something, true too. you know? And like, and you know, it's all due respect to people that do stuff here. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that do shows on all levels here. Um, but I think like a thing like the church doesn't really exist here. Or maybe if it does, it's way bigger, you know? I guess you could make the argument that, like, Bowery on some level... I, I mean, it's an independent company, and they do shows at the Warsaw and stuff like that. Like, that's basically the same thing that we do, but just way bigger. But I do think that, like, in terms of, like, DIY spaces, like, um, you just have to have people that care a lot, you know? Like, the people who do, like, the Acheron and the Wick and stuff, I think they're starting to make... Yeah, that's true. ...some inroads there. And, you know, I have friends that do small DIY shows, and they seem to really care about... You know, um, I also think it's really hard in New, in New York to not have it get poisoned by corporations really quickly, which 285 Kent definitely was. Oh, really? I think so. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I mean, I think like, not that like R5 like actively avoids this, but like, I mean, how many videos did you see that was like Heineken presents video of blank playing at 285 Kent and like the line on it is like, oh, it's like this cool independent warehouse, but like. You know, there's like major beer and cigarette companies like sponsoring a thing that it's involved with. How do you guys uh, not deal with that? I uh, like I said, I, we, we it's not that we don't. It's not like we. I you just think that. Choose. Well, I mean, we don't actively go after it. I mm -hmm. think like people. We also aren't in a city where people really want to do that stuff. You know, like a where a church basement in Philadelphia is not as cool as a warehouse in Williamsburg in terms of trying to sell something but like when you're routing like let's say you're routing like a ceremony tour mm -hmm. i mean kind of for you being on both sides of it are you like i don't want to play this place i want to play this place yeah yeah all the time we don't play live nation shows okay we don't play 21 and over shows ever um it's hard i mean we really try not to play 21 and over shows whenever we can't but i feel like in some places it is really difficult yeah it is, and it's weird because, like, a lot of times, like, you can't know what every scene is like. Right. And in a lot of cities, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, it can be, like, a tree falling in the woods where it's just like, yeah, we played a fucking all-ages show. And, like, everyone in the city's like, what? <laughs> Who fucking cares? And also, like, even, in, like, it can matter. It can be different venue to venue. Like, there could be a place in the Midwest that's 21 and over, in quotes, but... They don't card people. Right, Kids right. come in. It's like not a thing. Right. And so you're riding into town on your high horse and like no one notices at all, um, which is, it is hard, you know, it takes a lot of effort um, to do that kind of stuff. And I feel like a lot of the like bands that I've modeled my bands after, like from ones that 
were doing stuff in the 90s, like didn't tour as much as bands do now, you know, like Crudos played Philly probably like twice, three times. And, you know, the number of shows they played ever was probably less than Ceremony played on the last record. Right. You know, so it's like, it's, it's different. I think it's different if you're trying to do a 75 show tour one after another like you have to make quick decisions and you end up playing maybe a 21 over show somewhere we just don't do it but you use a booking agent who knows we don't want to do live nation or do you do it? yeah yeah we we got a booking agent two years ago three years ago is that like their niche is to say look we avoid these kind of places because we don't deal with it our our agent or uh no Hmm. no i mean there was definitely some concern We can be problematic, I think. Painted Black is extremely problematic. It's part of the reason why we don't play very often now because at this point we've gotten even more like thoughtful about when and where we play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically we've sort of painted ourselves into a corner to some degree. A black corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah, I remember meeting Dan at one of the, I think you were there, one of the Jade Tree CMJ showcases mm-hmm. here. It was a really long time ago and the Warsaw. Warsaw, yeah. Whoa, really? Yeah. That was like our sixth show. I remember I'd written something. Was the explosion on that one? Yeah. Yep. That was yep. legendary. Denali, I was there. I'd yeah. written something for AP or something, and Dan came up to me. He's like, are you Jonah? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I really like that piece. Yeah. And I, But I was so scared. Why? Because oh, I was so huge. intimidated because Dan is huge, and I was such a big Lifetime fan. You know, right. like, and I was like, I hope this guy doesn't hate me. Um, but he was he super nice. You. No, I know he doesn't he never hate has. me now. <laughs> I know, but um, yeah, he's he's a, he can be an intimidating dude if you're like a. Uh, I'm sure, obviously, you guys are in band together, you're friends, but or in two now. In two, really? Yeah, we have a new one. Well, let's talk about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for the going off track exclusive. <laughs> well, it's not that much of a <laughs> nope. Act like it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, for I'm the happy first to break time the world ever. news here. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's what's it called? It's called Open City. Okay, and it's you, Dan Yemen. Yes, um, my friend Chris Wilson plays drums. He, um, you would maybe recognize him from Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. Okay, and um, he's really, like pretty. Is that the dude with the beard? Yeah, okay. he looks like a president from the eighteen hundreds. Yep, I know exactly what you're he's talking a phenomenal about. Phenomenal drummer. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. A great drummer. Yeah, me and Yemen fantasized for years about trying to do a band with him. You know, um, is he in Philly or is he? He's yeah, he's lived in Philadelphia for probably over a decade okay um and then this woman named rachel rubino sings okay um and she's uh she was in a band called bridge and tunnel okay yeah and um i think she she plays in that band warriors now occasionally she's she's played in bands forever she played in this band called zombie dogs that painted black played with years ago um she's from new york but she lives in philly now and yeah we've been working on the band for like more than two years um but we just played our first two shows this spring so a record's done um yeah yeah, it'll be out i don't know when or on what i'm gonna try and put it out ourselves yeah yeah and do an r5 label no (laughs) no maybe open city records if kill rock stars won't sign us then (laughs) then we'll maybe put it out ourselves are you familiar with the band r5 yeah (laughs) i'm not we are well again it's like an internet thing a twitter thing where a lot of people will like send us Facebook messages or comment on our pages or tweet at us. Because if you want to talk about a corporation, what <laughs> the kid who's in R five? It's like it's 
four siblings, mm-hmm. and uh, I've I've interviewed them. Oh, have you really? Yeah, and uh, they're very very nice. But he's a Disney kid. He's on yeah. a Disney show called Austin and Allie. Right, and he's like sixteen or seventeen, and the band is his. It's all it's his brothers and sisters, and they tour and do covers and originals, and they're very popular. Very popular. Really? Yes. Very popular. Never heard of them. Yeah, well, it, no, it's like they have their own little scene. I don't even. I don't even think Fuse plays them. You know, they're like a pop act. I mean, they're just do their kind of dealy. And yeah, super popular kid. But I remember the name is R Five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when that band started getting popular, we were like, oh great, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> and then we were kind of thinking like, oh, it'll just go away, and it has only grown. <laughs> Luckily, I mean, anyone who knows anything wouldn't really confuse. You know, right, right. It seems very different. People that are doing like fucked up shows <laughs> with um with a boy band. But do, do you get like do you get nostalgic about having done shows for so long? Do you get nostalgic like ugh, nothing's as good as like that Ink and Dagger show in two thousand one? Like, no, or do you are you sort of like I, I don't know. I feel like I. I don't know if that's really like a full question, but do you understand? I guess what I'm trying to say. Cause do you I f- mean, am I one of those music isn't as good as it used to be? Yeah, because I feel like, like I, old, I, I always felt like I'm man. never going to be that way. And I feel like I keep getting more and more that way, inevitably. You think that it's inevitable that you're going to be that guy? I, I think I already am that guy. Oh, really? I mean, to an extent. I mean, I guess not. That's I mean, crazy, like, though. I see you out yeah. and you play in a band and yeah, you do this. I think you're confusing being jaded for what you said nostalgia because when you're a kid again you haven't been on the planet that long and everything is newer as you get older you're going to start comparing it's like fuck did i listen to the stooges before i was 30 no i was not cool Mm -hmm. you know and then i listen to them and i go oh the stuff i've liked for years obviously liked this right so i'm not you know it's where you are now is especially for what you do is you can't stop comparing like i have to stop going what's your new band sound like? Because I haven't heard them yet, so I can't make right. that differentiation. But it's that age-old question. So the older you get, the more you compare. Well, no. Short answer, no. <laughs> I, don't, I, I think nostalgia is bullshit. You okay. know? And I, I think that um, I'm grossed out by it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, and I feel like anyone that continues to do th- stuff and make things, like that is the enemy. You know, like just being like, oh, yeah, like, like, oh, back in the 90s, dot, 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 you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I was lis- I actually listened to to prepare. I listened to one of your podcasts. Okay. I realized I've listened to ones before, but I was like, oh, let me listen to a recent one. I was listening to the one with Evan Weiss. OK. Um, who talks about me in it, which is weird. He talked yeah. about how I bought something from him at a flea market, which is a really weird experience to be like walking around, like listening to something to like prepare to do a thing. And then they're talking about you buying clothes on it. Um, but like he was talking about like playing with all these bands that like he thought he'd never get to see again. Right. And all this kind of stuff. And like, like we've, we've lived through like this crazy, like reunion boom, all of us. Yes. Which um, has been a really interesting time, I think, because we're at the end of it, you know? There's like no more bands. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a finite resource, like oil or something. There will be no more bands when Drawbreaker reunites. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> there there. It's them and who who else? It was American Nightmare forever. 
And then they yeah. did it. I can't. It was be- Judge Forever, and then they did and it. It was at the Drive-In Forever, and then they the did it. Forever, and they did it. And Pixies, right? Yeah. And I would say for most of them, it's been unfulfilling. Yes. Um. Uh, for one reason or another, I remember when the Pixies first came around. I was like, like they were like my favorite band for so long, and I was so I could not. But I was like beside myself that I was going to get to see the Pixies, and I saw them, and it was awful. Which show? Hammerstein. No, it was in Philadelphia or in Camden at oh, okay. the whatever, the whatever corporate branded, you know, shed is across the river. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I think it's like the Halliburton Bank of America, Verizon, wire whatever. Yeah, sell your face. <laughs> um, but it was awful, and like I didn't listen to the Pixies again for like five years after yeah. that. You know, it was like really, it was it was rough. But then there's ones like Lifetime. I mean, I think An has been really good. Yeah. Um, I think that even like, I didn't like Ink and Dagger without Sean was crazy. It seems wrong, but it was great. Jeff know? was singing those shows. Jeff right? was singing. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see, I know there was one here. I think I was out of town or something. The, the warehouse show. Yeah. That was like secret or whatever was like completely authentic. It was crazy. It was like really weird and transcendent in a certain way. But the point is, is like, it's like this finite resource, right? So we're out of it. And it also feels gross because it's like, it's capitalism, right? Like, it's all just like the invisible hand just squeezing these artists. I felt that way when we, like, when I saw Jeff from Milk Hotel, who seemed like he did not want to be playing shows. Right. You know, Mike Judge does not seem to me like he wants to be playing shows. Maybe he does, but that's just how it feels. And, you know, it, you get to this point where the marketplace is just throwing cash at these people, right? And just throwing it and throwing it. It's just like, no, we're not interested. All right, well, how about now? No, not interested. Well, how about now? Not interested. It's like, how about now? And then everyone, then someone says yes. And then, you know, everyone rejoices for six months because they made the little monkey dance and play the songs that they wanted to hear and whatever. And everyone gets their photos of them. Everyone gets the photo and then that's it. Yeah. And then the band that like tries to come back six months later, no one goes because they want to, they saw the band. They saw them already. And then it's like, cool, well, this is ruined now, kind of. Well, everybody's a whore. You're just dicking about price. You know what I mean? So what you say, how much is it? And what do you, it's like, what do you want? What do you need? Because even if we're doing this because of art, like right. we, we, we actually sincerely miss playing together. Mm-hmm. Let's play. Right. As soon as you invite people and charge money, mm-hmm. then you're a prostitute in that respect. You know, if you want to go that capitalism angle. So it's hard. But I also feel like if I'm seeing like Grade or the Jazz June mm-hmm. reunion at like St. Vitus, like mm-hmm. I know these bands are not like on that scale. I feel like these bands are not, sure. you know, making a ton of money. Sure. Like to me, it's like. Yeah. And I mean, it's not it's not black and white. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, some people can get back to get like I did a show for Los Crudos at, at the church where you guys were a couple weeks ago. And I mean, show me a more like instructive and redemptive experience than being in the same room as Martine and Los Crudos. Totally. You know, and like that band hasn't written a new song in probably 15 years, but it was completely meaningful, you know? And I feel that way about, you know, there's plenty of them that are like that, but it's been a really, like in, as far as like nostalgia, I don't think there was any nostalgia to the Crudos show. You know, I think that like the stuff that they wrote about is just as relevant now if not more so, which is crazy. Um, 
and the passion's still there and you know the the earnestness is still there and um but i think that like nostalgia gets tricky because you you it's like a it's a dead end you know um but if you um remain engaged with like your scene and the people that support you and all that kind of stuff then there's no limit to like what you can do like it may it may like change size and what it looks like and the kinds of people that come to the shows or whatever but you know it's open-ended and that's kind of like what paint of black has done over the years like other bands in our situation probably would have broken up um but there's no sense in that in doing that you know like we don't have plans to make another record but that doesn't mean we won't well some bands force that issue like whenever you say there's a, there's now a healthy dose of skepticism when someone says break up right it doesn't even mean anything and, anymore and, and like i think like why even say hiatus when you're in a band just if you don't feel like doing anything for a while just don't do anything there's yeah. no reason to it's kind of function for the rolling stones you know what i mean it's, sure yeah yeah, so it, it, that that's where I worry that it's it's a cash grab, the reunion thing. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's and it's not all cash, right? Like mm-hmm. there are other things to be gained from yeah. doing those shows, you know? Like maybe people like maybe you used to get a certain kind of attention from people that you don't get anymore or maybe there's other things in your life that, you know, I don't know, that yeah. aren't as rewarding as some other things or maybe you just got bored with it for a while and that's okay too. Um, as long as it's authentic, like I went to see soul side, um, and Swizz and Moss icon in DC. And like, I don't think that, you know, I don't think any of those bands were doing it for any other reason than to have fun. Right. It was a really fun show. Um, but you know, there, there is definitely a sort of strange, um, like, like business to it all, which it's really hard to enjoy. Like there are some bands that I could name that, it's like it, it it was bands i really liked you know 10 15 years ago that um you go to see and it's just this like totally disgusting experience and you're like well can't really go back to yep. that in the same way anymore um and i'm really glad that i'm not that you know and i'll i'll never do that i'll never like be in a band that, like break i at this point it's kind of like i'll i will never be in a band that breaks up I don't think I've ever been in a band that broke up, actually. What about Affirmative Action Jackson? I don't know. No one's booked us in a while. (laughs) (laughs) People ask us to play shows. I don't know. I mean, if the right right circumstance came along, we'd play a show. Only you knew a promoter. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, too, is like... (laughs) Is is it hard for you to just, like, go to a show somewhere and not be like analyzing it like the way it's set up the security the whole yes yes short answer yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah and um i think kind of like what you were saying before about how you stay interested in stuff you know i i think like one way and you probably do this too you too i'm sure like you don't if you like a certain kind of music or something you you don't necessarily like if I was into the Ramones or the Stooges or something, I wouldn't just only listen to bands that sound sounded like that because that would just be exhausting, right? right? And so as you get older, you sort of grow out, I think, and not grow out of a thing, but you sort of like spread out and you get into classical music or jazz or electronic music or rap or whatever, and you can do it all at the same time. It's okay, especially now. <laughs> um, and um, I feel like that way about a lot of live music experiences now too where 
I want to see things that I haven't seen before and things that I can sort of like lose myself in. Um, cause yeah, a lot of times just going to the, the rock show as someone who has for the last like 10 years been at one almost every night. Um, I only need to watch a band for like 30 seconds, really. Like a lot of the time, like I'll get it. I'll get what, like, okay, I get what's happening here. Right. It's this kind of show. It sounds like this. The band's like this. And that's not even like dismissive. It's like, it's like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. Like this band's crushing it, you know? And I'll get like the same thing out of that. Um, and it takes like a rare situation. Like I went to see Dawn of Humans the other night. Do you know who that is? I don't know. There's a band from New York that's like, anyone who knows them and is listening to this is going to like think I'm the biggest poser because I'm going to try and like, I don't even really know how to describe them, but like they're a band who does a lot, their singer does a lot of like weird like performance art kind of stuff, costumes and like weird they were doing like tape manipulations of this thing, but they're like a totally DIY hardcore band. Like, I don't even know how to check them out. <laughs> um, but I watched like every minute of their set be- the other night at the Wick. They headlined this festival. Okay. And that's like a DIY band that puts out their own records, basically does all their own stuff. All the like stage show stuff was all totally DIY, whatever. And they're playing like a huge show with like probably 700 people at it to see a local band that has no like label publicist, like anything, see them. And I was like transfixed because it's like totally engrossing to watch this band play. There's nothing, nothing like it. And um, to me, that's really appealing, especially the fact that it's like entirely done by themselves. And that's why, that's what, you know, like see, I keep talking about Ink and Dagger, but like that was an important band for me because seeing them, play a show in a church basement where they were able to like they had like lights and like a whole like stage thing and they were like totally like you know um they were like they had this crazy charisma and they had this like show that like went with the thing and they were able to by doing that harness like this crazy energy but it was like completely independent and it was like just them doing it and I, that was the thing that made me, I was like, all right, well, I'm in, sign me up. Like, this is the thing that I want to do. I want to like do that thing. Not necessarily with face paint, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, and I feel like, um, that's a thing that I don't think you can necessarily like walk into and be like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Right. Um, but also like going to like electronic shows or experimental music shows or classical music things like, you know, I see, I seek out a lot of different kinds of stuff now. And maybe each one of them has their own scene. You know yeah, I mean? totally. Um, the people that do the opposite of that, that's all they listen to. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually think that that's cool too. I mean, I, I think that they're, like Ian Spinonius wrote something about like uh, how we need to censor ourselves more <laughs> now. <laughs> He's like, we need to like build these little prisons for ourselves because like the thing now where like everyone who's like anyone, like everyone just lo- like loves Taylor Swift and rap music and pop and everything is like bad. It's ultimately bad. And um and I don't necessarily agree, but you know, I, I want those I like that that kind of stuff exists. I like that there's people that are like way punker than me that think I'm a poser. I want those people to still exist. Oh yeah. How you know? how did you sort of end up playing with Cinema? Because I know they're a West Coast band, obviously you're an East Coast. Yeah, I well paint it black. And then had played a bunch of shows together. We were like really big fans of theirs. Okay. And then I did a couple years in this band called Blacklisted. And we toured with Ceremony. And we just got along really well. Um, 
were kindred spirits. And then um, one of them quit. Um, and so they asked me to join. That was it. It's not a very exciting story. So when you practice, do you just go like before tour, just like go out to California pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. That's cool. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I love the Bay Area, so it's a great excuse to spend time out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we also don't, I mean, ceremony doesn't practice like twice a week or anything. We do stuff before a tour, before recording. So it's like, it's pretty low time commitment on that. Right, right. I'm transfixed by your Blink 77 shirt still. Oh yeah. This is audio so people can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's, what was the one with the the hologram with the dude with the guns? Killer Blanks. Killer Blanks. That was their first album. Yeah. I love Blank 77. I do too. With I, no irony at all. Like I saw them love. play in Cleveland with Violent Society <sighs> way back, and I bought the split with the Quincy Punks that had Dumpster Diving the Abortion Clinic on great it. Great record. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great record. Great band. That show was probably awesome. It was, it was pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. I mean, that was like part of a... I mean, that band was pretty irreverent. Quincy Punks, too. Yes. Blank 77 were, too. I don't think they could... If they were a new band now, I don't think that they would get away with any of the stuff that they used to do. But, I don't think so either. But they were, I mean, they were an outrageous band back then. I think and, maybe that band The Pissed played too. Do you remember them? Mm-hmm. The Pissed were great. Yeah. The Pissed, you know, The Pissed played some reunion shows. and Really? <laughs> they did, sure. So did, actually every band that you've mentioned has played shows I in the last couple of years. I had no idea. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they were good. And all those people are still involved in punk and that kind of thing. I think that helps too. As far as, like, being authentic. Like, Yeeman, for example, has not stopped playing in bands since he, you know, starred Lifetime. And, you know, this new band is, like, you know, we practice more than any other band that any of us are in. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, it's one thing if you go become a banker or a Wall Street Wall Street guy for a few years and then decide to reunite your straight-edge band that's not straight-edge anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's... it's, it's is scheduling like a, a huge nightmare for you guys? Because I know obviously you guys like families, like careers outside of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like I'm being pulled apart by horses most of the time. How do you sort of reconcile like what kind of keeps you doing that, I guess? Uh, what keeps me in a situation where I'm constantly exhausted and stressed out? By choice, too. I don't know. <laughs> Some kind of insanity. I mean, it's Some sort of black hole in myself that will never be filled, no matter how much, how many things I do. Or so when Live Nation things. wants to buy R5 and you can retire. Oh, no, that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no. I should probably figure out a way to, like, you know, to, like, save some money, right? I don't know. I'm never going to, like, have, like, a real, like... Like all these people, you walk around in New York, you walk around these people, you're just like, oh, you have money somehow. How'd you get it? I keep thinking there's going to be this inevitable like financial collapse and it's not going to matter. Yeah, but... It's already happening. Like people are going to be like, oh, all that stuff you worked so hard to save up, like those are pieces of paper. The fact that 11 people have more money than everyone on minimum wage in the whole country, it's it's, it's already there. (laughs) Yeah, but that's like a little fatalistic, right? Totally. To just be like, well, well, what am I supposed to do? It's probably all going to probably going to fall apart at yeah. some point. That, so that's how I approach most of my problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's 
I feel you on that <laughs> for sure. I'm not saying it's good. I just yeah. that's yeah. No, I mean I just um Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know how you how you approach that. It's 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 crazy. I mean, I was I took the train here. I I was like maybe gonna take an Uber here. And then um I've been like trying not to take Uber now. Um because I feel like Uber is this metaphor for like why America has eleven people that are richer than everyone else put together you know it's like this metaphor for like why there's never going to be a revolution no matter how bad things get here people are just like too comfortable and like uber is this great thing where it's like like okay sure it's like free market capitalism sure it's like aggressively anti-worker sure it's like a fucked up company that like you know is all there just to make money for like a couple of people and who cares what the law is or who cares what like workers rights are at play or whatever i can just like push a button and someone drives me somewhere you know and like it's and like you know i use it sometimes too i'm sure we all do probably it's like that statistic i just read that if an iphone was made in america with union rules regulations the way even a corporation that doesn't even abide by those had right. to deal with it they would cost about ten thousand, right? You know, each absolutely. But still, that's what that always amazes me about capitalism. It's like America, America, but we use companies overseas mm-hmm. who have no emissions laws, which make greenhouse gases cause it to be really cold when it's not supposed to be. So it's our fault. Yeah, <laughs> and all this has kind of broken my brain as like a band person. Because, like, you know, in in the 90s, it was really easy to avoid certain things. And now it's like, well, you have a Facebook page. <laughs> you know, you, right. have, you have, like, like this podcast is going to be filtered through the most profitable company that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That is responsible for a lot of the stuff you're talking Completely. about. Completely. You know? And so it makes it hard to, like, argue over... It makes it hard for me to, like, really care too much about stuff like, oh, well, you know, like a sneaker company sponsored that show you played... And I'm like, well, yeah, but like you have an iPhone. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not yeah. saying that that negates the whole thing at all, but I'm just saying it like really complicates things. And like, so it's like I can pat myself on the back and be like, yeah, you didn't play a 21 and over show with this one band this year. Good for you. But like at the same time, like, I don't know, like I use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I use all these things that like are, you know, that are like very much. Um, like responsible for a lot of the like totally evil stuff that we're talking about. It makes it tough, I guess, to like, and it's constantly a thing that you wrestle with. Um, trying to like make music in a way. Cause I know United Nations is like that too. Totally. You know? Like United Nations is like a really like, like conscious band, which I think is awesome. I, w- I wish there was more of that. Yeah, no, I-, I agree. It is, it is hard though. It is hard to draw the line. And like, I feel like, yeah, especially when it comes to like yeah, corporate influences like every cuz yeah, it's basically everywhere. Right. Yeah, and I I don't know and I I don't know what the solution to that is, you know? Like a thing that I've been wrestling with for the last like year or two um that I don't have an answer to. Actually, you might actually have a, be a great person to share sure. this off of is like how like what would that look like? Like how could you avoid as best as possible um you know, avoiding these sort of like corporate, you know, these corporate spaces. Like, I think even if you're 
like things have gotten so crazy right now that you can be a band that like records your own stuff like donna humans for example could like record their own record in their house press it to vinyl themselves using an independent company screen print the record the records themselves not hire a publicist not hire a thing not be on itunes not be on spotify etc and then all it takes is like some one person who works at a major music website to write about them or videotape them or whatever whether the band agrees to it or not and then it suddenly is like in this space that is like selling ad space to like lexus right do you know what i mean like how and like how do you avoid that is there a way to do it i just think that like because i don't think antipathy is the answer you know like I, i think there's a lot of people who would just say well fuck it like there's nothing you can do so i'm just gonna do whatever right um i'm not comfortable with that um but i i wonder like what that would look like going forward yeah i mean i guess i don't know that's a good question i guess at some point you just like for me like a big thing is like i can only control what i do like i can't control other people sure and that's something that like is can be very like difficult for me Mm -hmm. um and meaning meaning like it's 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 something like i feel like i've had to work on a lot Mm because i'm like you know like we should do this or like this is the right decision or like whether it's like my personal life or with the band and i feel like at some point you just have to be like I can only do what's good for me. So it's like if we play a show and it ends up on some website or something, it's like not apathy, like, right. but more just like, well, this is like, I'm just going to control what I can control. And like, if I try to worry about what everyone else is doing, it's just going to like let me down. Right. Yeah. Which isn't really an answer, I guess. But yeah, like I said, I I don't have an answer to this. And I think about it like every day, you know. I th- it's weird like in my brain it's some kind of new thing that is somehow repellent to that you know like right. it's like a dog whistle that corporate media wouldn't be interested in well not, and not to like not to feed your ego either but like i think the fact that like you think about this stuff and are concerned about it is actually is pretty good yeah i feel like most people don't like or maybe they do or maybe but i i think it's most people are like eh yeah and i think that one of the things that's also at play here is that like i was saying before the like really aggressive devaluation of like what people claim is the thing that's most important to them you know like it's insane to me that i still play shows that cost like five dollars sometimes right that's insane um and it the older i get the more that seems like some kind of weird like vanity thing um and it's like it's cool that you know i I don't know i guess like i i like the idea of like a sustainable subculture or counterculture um one that has a lot of participants and is like inviting and welcoming to all people but is sustainable um and i think a lot of times if you enter into it like in this way that creates a situation where there's not even a way to get to the next show you know eventually people are going to get tired of it um or you know take five grand to play a show that's sponsored by a web startup company right you know um and like you know i've started paying like when i go to basement shows and stuff i'll pay twice what they're asking 
just to sort of is like because I'm like this is the thing I fucking care about. I don't right. care about shows that are at like big venues. You know, it's right. not interesting to me. It's cool they exist. I go to them, um, but I'm interested in I'm interested in like stuff that's outside of that, and I want to support that. Um, and as someone that still does those shows, it blows my mind that you know these people show up like who claim to really care about it, but they'll be like, oh, I only bought, brought three bucks with me. You're like, you only bought three bucks with me? What did you think was happening here? Right. You know? Like, where else would you go and expect you could, with $3? Yeah. And I guess it's, like, up to bands and artists to, like, take control of that. Like, if you want to charge $1 for your show, then that's cool. Um, But I don't know. It seems unsustainable to me. And I think it also, like, kind of, like, poisons a lot of um, bands that could otherwise stand for something, you know? Like, I think, like you need like you were t- you were talking about that just a brazil show right that we went that we were both at in 98 probably i was in college yeah it was 99 98 99 somewhere in there and i mean like i feel like at the time there were like a handful of these bands that were able to tour like a veil or crudos or born against right. or whoever that you know there was like this other component to it which is funny i was listening to that evan weiss thing and you guys were talking a lot about all these like new emo bands and stuff but and this is not to like throw shade on those bands because like it's a totally different time but like all those bands have like managers right you know yeah (laughs) and like back you know years ago those you know you would get laughed out of town if you had a manager and there's these bands that don't even have records out that have like a fucking manager. Why? What for? What do they seek to gain from that? You know? And like, I understand that like as things go up the ladder on like music industry stuff, like that is a thing that sometimes you need, um, depending on what you're trying to do. But like, you know, independent bands that are just starting out, like how do you learn to do anything if you have a manager from the first show? Yeah. I have no idea. I've never been in a band that had a manager. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, Ceremony has a manager well, now. Well, I think, I think, I mean, that makes sense, though. I mean, you know, you're, you're on Matador. Like, I feel like at, at some point, like, there's stuff that you just can't do right. or don't know how to do. Right. Well, there's also this weird thing where, like, people don't take you seriously. Right. In yeah, a yeah. lot of the world, in, in a lot of the worlds that we've dipped our toes into. Cautiously. It helps that the person that's managing us is like a really close friend who totally gets it. We're not looking for, you know, a, like a like a slick LA guy, right? To right. Get us on Lollapalooza or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also think that you know this is our fifth LP. The bands have been around for ten years. We've played like a thousand shows or something, so it's slightly different than like a band that maybe is all full of 17 year olds that has a demo right um yeah so i i don't know i think it's um i think maybe that that whole like ethic for a lot of people is just absent especially with like this it's weird to me like you know talking about like the um resurgence of a certain kind of sound where like you know 10 years ago had this ethos connected to it and here like now that's pretty much absent i would say um but i i am interested in that being more of a thing you know i feel like you need to create some sort of like new thing that is somehow like really gross to 
like corporations and stuff like that. Or maybe just be like really aggressive about it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's yeah. It's, it's also really out of fashion to care about anything. <laughs> it's so unfashionable to care about anything. Yeah, that's true. You know? And like being sincere is like considered to be so embarrassing now. Yeah. It's but. also yeah, it's yeah, it's also just weird being an adult, I feel like sometimes. When you're like, oh, like yeah, I dress the weird. same, I do the same stuff, but like, wait, what? <laughs> Is that how you I, feel? I nowadays? feel that way a lot. Wait, what? Like, what happened? I guess. I don't know. It's not bad. No, I love it, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, don't you? Yeah. I, yeah. I think I just, like, not that I'm nostalgic, but I feel like I tend to idealize, like, other eras of my life, and then I look back and I think about it, I'm like, no, like... I didn't have any friends, like no girls to talk. Like that, that was awful. Like I know, like I was so lonely. Yeah, for like most of my life. Totally. I mean, still kind of. Um, and when I was getting into music, I didn't have any friends. You know, I didn't have any friends that were into the stuff I was into at all. And so, yeah, you look back and you're like, yeah, that avail show was cool, but like I went home and like felt horrible about myself like for the other 23 hours of that day and every other day yeah for as long as i can remember um that's maybe a little too real for this for this uh podcast but i do yeah i mean um i think there's also a difference between like looking back on something that was like incredibly inspirational to you and being nostalgic yes you know yeah yeah totally um I think, again, like nostalgia is the thing that like the guy who sits at his nine to five office job and like wishes the jawbreaker would get back together. Um, that's that seems like a nostalgia thing to me. Whereas like if you're thinking back about like some shit that like changed you like 10 years ago and are using that to do new things, then I don't see any problem with that. I think that's great. You know? And plus, like, I'm sure that you, you've seen probably, like, 10 bands this year that are brand new that, like, blew your mind. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, I thought, yeah, that show the other night, like, I think Gates are great. Mm-hmm. I think Pianos are awesome. Um, but, yeah, there's, yeah, I guess there's a lot of bands Yeah, that I like that are newer. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you don't have to buy every record anymore either. Right. You know? Um, you can... I don't know, you can be a little more selective about it, which is nice too. I think like, you know, you get a more nuanced enjoyment of like the stuff that you are really into, you know? Like, cause think about how much like wax stuff you were probably into when you were a little kid. <laughs> so much. And I feel like so, especially like in the 90s metalcore stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I see all that stuff passed me I by. was so into all that like Trust Kill, all that stuff. And it's like some, some of it's still cool and some of it you listen back and it's just like, wow, this does not hold up. Isn't that a weird experience, though? Like, for now, like, people our age... Because we're about the same age, right? I'm 35. Okay, I'm 33. Okay. So, um... There are... If you were getting into music now, that doesn't happen to you anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everything's laid out for you perfectly. So you can... There's no, like, stumbling onto stuff that maybe you love, but is, is horrible. Or other people right. don't love, you know? Now you can become an instant expert on Finnish, like, hardcore that from, like, the early 80s in, like, 15 minutes, well, you know? 
And so, and it's weird because now there's like a, you can like approach it like an academic, which, which is like this, especially with punk, like this kind of music that was so lifestyle based for many years. Um, now there's no like, like, I feel like now more people like Void and United Mutation than Minor Threat. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's true for sure. I also think, and I feel like we talked about this before, it's like there's no, there's like no like stylistic sound of this time. Like I feel like that's a really good seventies, even even within punk, like seventies, eighties, like nineties. Like Mm -hmm. you can be like, oh, this sounds like this. Is anyone ever going to be like, oh, this song sounds like it's from two thousand fifteen or two thousand twelve? Like to me, everything's just kind of already. It's it's just like this big undefined kind of blob now or something. Well. Have you noticed that all of the popular hardcore bands now don't play hardcore? Yeah, that's true. Like, like if you're a quote-unquote hardcore kid, what are you listening to, you know? Like, you're probably listening to Title Fight, who are now basically like a shoegaze band. Right. Hardcore kids, definitely. Like, a, like they're all in, still into that, but like that's not what the band sounds like. Right. Or Nails. It's a really popular hardcore band that plays death metal. <laughs> you know, all group ceremony in there, maybe. Like, aren't there's no fast beats or mosh parts on our new record? Well, maybe a mosh part, but it's by accident. <laughs> um, and, you know, the list goes on. But if you were like, you know, if you were to look at it like on a grand scale, like which one of the popular hardcore bands plays no frills like hardcore? Which one sounds like Youth of Today? Right. Minor Threat? None. And so now it's like sort of like this identity thing that's like a la carte where you're like, yeah, I'm, in, I'm a hardcore kid. I listen to hardcore, you know, like Touche More and Nails, those bands that sound just alike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, and then there's also bands like I feel like Fucked Up or something where it's sure. like, which is like I think sort of where you, you and tries to go where it's like, um, um, like almost like an art project in a way. Like Absolutely. I love the way that that band has like, developed this like consistent aesthetic me too the way the records look like the the things that they do that you don't expect to me like that's like the exciting part of of the hardcore or or something yeah and i I also think that it it takes a little more work now to find that stuff um i think like again for example like the donna humans record that just came out is like i haven't really heard anything like it it's crazy i love it it's like it's but you know it's not a thing that i think most of the people that would go to like you know this is hardcore fest or i don't know what are the other big ones most people that go to like like the black and blue bowl right right like they would never even have heard of that band even though they're a totally popular band from the same city um or even like there's do you know who the impalers are from austin i don't think so man they're another band that's great like they put out a 12 inch last year that the first side of it is like this 16 minute long like D beat song, you know? And it's like amazing. Like it's, it's like kind of like psychedelic and, but you know, and it's like doing something with that model of like hardcore stuff, but it's like a new thing, you know, but it takes a little more. And that band again is like a thing that most people don't know about, but you have to dig a little deeper to find. So how do people find that they're impalers? Um, you know, well, I don't know, like someone like any, like my friends now are nerdy and it's not even like a nerdy thing. It's just like that band I read about, they were on 
Brooklyn Vegan yesterday. Okay. You know, so, or today maybe. So it's like, it's not like it's not right available to people, but I'm talking more in like the bigger sense, you know, whereas like, you know, I think... 20 years ago when things were getting started and there was like 20 hardcore bands total it was a lot easier there was like these tent poles right and now it's like the the tent poles now i think are um are different you know but i think it's all cool like i'm still like totally excited by all this stuff and obviously like i'm playing in four bands right now that are all doing stuff yeah <laughs> so that's amazing yeah um so yeah i'm like just as into it everything now is when i started probably more you know i think it and i and i i think like the people that i consider to be like my friends were like the same age you know like someone like you or um you know just even like like yeman's like 10 years older than me and he's just as excited about stuff like he was telling me that he was like the other day that he was getting like so excited because um the singer of this band called Gloss from um, the Northwest. Have you heard of them? I feel like I've heard the name. It stands for Girls Living Outside Society's Shit. Okay. They like, they're the best new band. Okay. And he bought their demo on Bandcamp and the singer wrote him back and was like, hey, Dan Yeeman, that's crazy. And he, but like, and there was like this thing happening for both of them where like the singer of that band was probably like, oh my God, I can't believe like Dan Yeeman. And Dan Yuma was like, oh my God, I can't believe it, the singer of Gloss. And he's still like the least like jaded person ever um, when it comes to that stuff. And I think like fighting that is important and it's tough. Like, and I think like being involved in doing shows and playing in lots of bands and all that stuff, it all sort of informs each other, you know, which like I think bands that are starting out that have managers probably don't get that same kind of experience, you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so when we come back in, I'm supposed to clap. <laughs> and every time I try to do it, it's like the weakest clap of all time. And Brad gives me this disapproving look like a father would give a son when they're it's playing catch. The only- and he just like throws the ball like two inches and it falls well, on the ground. And I feel like I'm just staring <laughs> at the baseball on the ground right now. But let me explain. I didn't touch the mic. No, thank you. Thank you. But the only reason for the clap the only reason that I do that is because it gives me a visual cue on when I when I'm editing the podcast where the, right where to cut the the intro and the outro. I get that. And if you don't clap loud, it doesn't really give me any cue. Right, because it just it looks like I'm just talking. Yeah. Yep. I get that. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to do a terrible clap. Maybe I'll give you like a clicker or something. I think I should just bring in. You know, when we did that podcast with Benny, uh, we he brought in that. Percussive thing that he described as the beginning to every cake song. (laughs) That so maybe we should just have one of those in the studio and hit it instead because I feel like I won't be able to fuck that up as bad. Cowbell, cowbell might work. Cowbell, cowbell always works. (laughs) Um, But yeah, check out um, the new ceremony record. As we said earlier, it's awesome. It's called the L Shaped Man. It's out on Matador. It's very, very different from the other stuff. They're you know started out as a hardcore band, and now yeah we were talking that it's almost like this British. Mission of Burma-esque, kind of post-punk. It's cool. It's cool. It's unexpected. And hardcore fans don't always like what's unexpected. Nope, they don't. It can be... It can be. Although like, I think they're getting... 
I think they're getting acclimated. I don't think they're as one one track minded as they used to be. I think you're. I think you're. They right. used to kill you. Yeah, if you did really anything other than <laughs> other than breakdowns and mosh parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of mosh parts, totally totally unrelated. This is not anything but uh, related to podcasts. Except I write for Noisy Vice Society, and they just did a four part documentary on Judge. Wow. Um, and they got Mike Judge and the whole story, and they showed them reuniting. It's called. Um, Leave there will be quiet after the storm, um, but yeah, it's awesome. It's free on YouTube. It's four parts, uh, so check that out if you're into Judge and hardcore. Um, and what else? Yeah, um, check out Jonah. He does a bunch of other stuff. Check me out, JonahBear.com. Blow him up. All my writing. Know, he's blowing up without you, but you know you can help him. Give him I'm a trying. Little I'm trying, guys. I'm trying to do all this stuff for free. And uh, <laughs> speaking of which. Uh, we want to thank Rubber Tracks for this podcast. We also wanted to say that if you want to support us, uh, the best way to do that is to donate. Um, so go to goingofftrack.com. There's a button you can donate, whatever, a dollar, five bucks. Um, that helps us pay to keep all of these podcasts available for you on the server. Um, also, I'm going to announce this now. Uh, we're doing a live podcast. Oh, right. I keep forgetting about it because I haven't actually down. started booking it yet, but it's going to happen at Union Hall once again on July 25th. So stay tuned. We will, um, once we get some guests nailed down, we'll start putting that at the beginning of the podcast, letting you know about it, you know. But the last last one we did was with uh, Matt from Not A Surf, Ema Lamus. Oh, we did another, yeah. And yeah, so it's going to be great. So check that out. Um, leave us a positive review on iTunes. If you don't have the money to donate, that's fine. Um, that, that helps make us look cool. Um, and yeah, check out. Check out Rubber Tracks, Apply if you're in a band, and uh, check out Paint It Black and all of Andy's awesome bands. Um, and thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.